Our reading from God's Holy Word this morning comes from Psalm 38, a psalm of David. I would encourage you to give attention to the reading of this God's Holy Word. O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. For your arrows have sunk into me, and your hand has come down on me. There is no soundness in my flesh because of your indignation. There is no health in my bones because of my sin. For my iniquities have gone over my head. Like a heavy burden, they are too heavy for me. My wounds stink and fester because of my foolishness. I am utterly bowed down and prostrate all the day. I go about mourning, for my sides are filled with burning and there is no soundness in my flesh. I am feeble and crushed and I groan because of the tumult of my heart. O Lord, all my longing is before you. My sighing is not hidden from you. My heart throbs, my strength fails me. In the light of my eyes, it also has gone from me. My friends and companions stand aloof from my plague, and my nearest kin stand far off. Those who seek my life lay their snares, and those who seek my hurt speak of ruin and meditate treachery all day long. But I am like a deaf man, I do not hear, like a mute man who does not open his mouth. I have become like a man who does not hear and in whose mouth are no rebukes. But for you, O Lord, do I wait. It is you, O Lord, my God, who will answer. For I said, only let them not rejoice over me who boasts against me when my foot slips. For I am ready to fall, and my pain is ever before me. I confess my iniquity. I am sorry for my sin. But my foes are vigorous. They are mighty. And many are those who hate me wrongfully. Those who render me evil for good accuse me because I follow after good. Do not forsake me, O Lord. Oh my God, be not far from me. Make haste to help me. Oh Lord, my salvation. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Amen. You may be seated. Father, we've heard your word read now from Psalm 38, and we long to know its truth. We can already begin to see what it is that you're saying through your servant David, but we want to know more, and we want the Spirit to be here to take this message into our hearts and reveal your word to us in a way that will enlighten our hearts. And reveal to us our sin. And show us a path in which we may walk as your people. 
And so, Father, I would ask that you be very attentive to us through the Spirit right now as we give our attention to this, your word. And I would pray that you would indeed have your way with our hearts and our lives. So much so, Lord, that lives would be turned around on the spot in this room today. So much so that sins that have clung so close to us would fall off. And that darknesses and difficulties and distances from you would be expelled from our lives and a newfound intimacy would make inroads into our lives the likes of which we don't even have the faith and confidence yet to ask or imagine. So I would just ask you, Lord, you know far better than me or anybody else in this room what's needed right now. So will you accomplish it? And come and make your presence known to the glory of the name of Christ in our midst. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You've had those moments like me. Where life is just so dark. It's just so difficult. We don't even have the words to express it. I've been there across the table from friends who've loved me well. I've been on the phone and in relationship with pastors and people who know my heart well in times where I'm really discouraged. In times where I'm really in a darkness and I don't know in those moments how to get out of it. You know those days? I suspect you do. And sometimes, by God's great grace, He puts someone in our lives and they're able to speak a word that all of a sudden encapsulates where we are, what we're feeling, and what we're going through. And we feel in those moments, all of a sudden, someone understands. Someone gets it. I'm not alone on this journey all by myself. A lot of times when those moments come into our lives, a sense of self-revelation happens and we can spot things that are going on in our hearts and lives that we may not have been able to see prior to that conversation. But we know that in some way that conversation has revealed something that we now will live with an understanding and a knowledge and a light that will lighten our path. Why do I am I talking about this? Well, the Psalms are almost like that friend that speaks to us in the moment of that darkness. That so often reveals and gives us language for words to describe what we're going through when we're just fumbling around to find the words for what it is that's really going on in our lives. 
especially in psalms like this. This is one of the seven penitential psalms. The penitential psalms are psalms that describe great sorrow, great sadness, usually connected to grief or to suffering. But underlying that grief and suffering and that sadness and that sorrow is a recognition of sin. Uh, Potentially the acknowledgement of a reaping kind of what we sowed, that we had been on a path that we were calling the way of life but was really the way of death. And the seeds of death got sown into our lives and it was revealed at one point in time and now we're coming before the Lord with our face on the ground because now we see, as David describes in this passage, our foolishness. We see the ways that we have gone awry from the Lord. You see, the Psalms do that for us. They're like a good friend who gives us words that help us understand where we are and the condition that we're in so that we can see, again, who Christ is, who God is, and where it is that we can go. The path that will lay out before us. If I could summarize the mission of the Psalms in a really simple phrase, I would say it's to mirror our souls in order to mend our souls. That's really, from a human perspective, that's largely what the Psalms are doing. It gives us a mirror of our souls, because don't you experience that when you're reading the Psalms? It just kind of shows you, like, oh yeah, that's gone on in my life. Oh yeah, that's how I felt when that happened. Oh yeah, that's sort of the thoughts that were running through my mind. It mirrors our souls, and then at some point over the course of the Psalm, the Psalmist begins to catch a glimpse of the truth of who God is. His promises, His grace, and the gospel. And all of a sudden, the soul that had been rent apart is now begun to be mended back together. The Psalms do that. And especially Psalms like this one. Especially penitential Psalms. And in this particular Psalm, we have David. David who has been, well, he has been in a profoundly dark place in this Psalm. His soul is laid bare before us in black and white in Psalm 38. He doesn't pull any punches. He lays it all on the table. And in fact, he lays it so much on the table and it's so raw in Psalm 38 that undoubtedly some of us read this passage and think, wow, I've had dark days, but I've never had something quite like this. It's verse after verse after verse, and the turning points don't seem to come till very late in the psalm, and you begin to wonder, really, this is, this is morbid. There's a darkness here that is profound. David clearly can't see his hand in front of his face in the darkness that he's experiencing here in Psalm 38, but some of us in this room can say, oh, I know about this. I know this place really well. I've lived months and years of my life in a place that David is describing and it resembles very much what I have come to experience as darkness is almost my closest friend. In Psalm 38, David, as he shows us that darkness and as we enter enter into it with him, He teaches us that no matter how dark the darkness gets, God can find you there. And in fact, 
he tells us the lesson of Psalm 139. That God is the God of the darkness. And even the darkness is not dark to him. As we enter Psalm 38 and as we enter the darkness of David's own soul in this particular moment, we come with the recognition that God can find us there. And He can bring us out of it and set us before His marvelous light. As we seek to pursue that this morning, I want to look at this psalm with you in three ways. If it's a journey that we're on and a pilgrimage that we're on, in many ways it is, it's an interior pilgrimage, and a pilgrimage of the heart as we're working our way through Psalm, 80, or psalm 38. If we're walking through this psalm in this way, there's several things that we see. We see, first of all, in the first eight verses, that there is an ailment. There's something really wrong here. And it's deeply, deeply wrecking David's life at multiple levels. We, we see in verses 9 to 15 that this ailment has given birth to a kind of alienation. Where he is lost and without fellowship. And without intimacy, and he feels as if he's on his own through this. But as he walks from the ailment into even the deeper despair of the alienation, he stumbles in verse 15 onto the end of the passage, onto the answer. The answer for the healing of the ailment, and the answer to the alienation. That's what we want to do as we take this interior pilgrimage with David. We want to pass through that ailment. And into that alienation that we might behold the answer that God has for us in this passage. Let's look at how it starts here in verses 1 and 2. It's a striking beginning. Look, O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. For your arrows have sunk into me, and your hand has come down upon me. As David considers his situation and his circumstance, and as sometimes I'm sure you have done, and you look in every single direction, and life seems to be falling apart, you draw the conclusion, I know what the thing is. I know what's going on now. God is aligned against me. God has aligned against me. I am now under his wrath. I am under his rebuke. I am under his discipline. I can see that I am out of accord with the Lord. The Lord has been aligned against me. That's why I'm experiencing his stroke of discipline. That's why I'm experiencing this heavy hand that's upon me. In fact, if we can consider David in light of his calling as king and as warrior, how ironic it is that he describes it this way, because he is one who has seen the arrows of God go deep into the enemies of God, including enemies like Goliath, of which he earlier, way earlier in his history had tremendous success over. You know, David has, or Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed his tens of thousands. He's a remarkably gifted warrior. He's seen the arrows of the Lord sink deep into the enemies of God. He's seen the hand of the Lord press down heavy upon the godless idolaters of the nations which are around him. But as he begins his psalm, those arrows, in a strange way, are now turned upon him. And the hand 
that had gently guided him, almost like encouragement about the shoulder, is now, he's seeing, pressing down upon him in a heavy way, in the same way that Tony noted in Psalm 32 through our confession of sin. Now, due to the emotion of this passage, as we see it just launch into this description in verses 1 and 2, it's not a leap to suggest that David is really wondering, where is it that I stand with the Lord? Has my status with the Lord been in some ways compromised? Am I hanging in the balance? I've been called a man after God's own heart. But is this how God treats a man after God's own heart? Are these the kind of things that I would go through if I am one of his treasured possessions when now it seems as if I'm his target practice? I'm his punching bag? I'm the one who is the target of his attacks? That seems to be a question that many of us have when we go through trials and difficulties in our lives. We immediately begin to question, what is our relationship with God? Is he still there? Have I in some way or in some form fallen out of disfavor? And the one thing that we can say about that for sure is that God's love for his people is in no way and ever under any circumstances compromised. But the way that love expresses itself has to do as he relates to you with his his best interest for you, which is sometimes softer and sometimes harder depending on where it is that he wants to take us, what it is that he wants to show us, how it is that he wants to grow us. David seems to have this question a little bit into his mind because he's identified, he believes, that he's under the discipline and the rebuke of God and he's struggling deeply and emotionally within his own soul with it. And it's not just something that's internal, Sometimes this is a thought or a feeling that rises up within us, but he describes it as something that's profoundly physical. That's why we're calling it an ailment in these first eight verses. Look at the way he describes it, verses 3 through 8. He says, There is no soundness in my flesh or health in my bones. My wounds stink and fester. I am bowed down and prostrate. My side is filled with burning. I am feeble and I am crushed. This is a man who is describing the anguish and the turmoil that he's in, not merely in metaphorical or emotional or spiritual terms. He's describing it very physically in nature. Now, we've all been sick before. We know what it's like to not be on the top of our game physically. But we also know that physical sickness and suffering is not created equal. Some physical suffering is is light and momentary. Another physical suffering is enduring and difficult. And it lasts for a long period of time. I was recently at the doctor. You know, when you go to the doctor, they always give you one of those clipboards. You think you're going to get treatment, but you're actually going to write a book is what you're going to do when you go to the doctor. And then they're filling out all of this medical history. And you know, they make you go digging deep into your mother and grandmother and, grand- and grandfather and great-grandfather's history and their... You know, and you begin to, you know, write it all out and you think, oh, I'm going to die tomorrow. I mean, coming from, you know, coming from this lineage, you know, and you, you know, I've got all kinds of problems going to be wrong with me. Well, one of the things I was going in for was some pain, you know. It's amazing what pain will do. It gets you to go to the doctor. I was going to the doctor and here I am. And, you know, one of those 
kind of corny charts is there. You know, the one with all the faces on it. Which one am I talking about? You know, one, one of them's kind of half smiling. and You know, the other one's just like this. And then there's one where it's kind of like a grimace, you know, like that. And then there's one that's profoundly, you know, frowning. And you're supposed to circle which face it is to tell them how intense your pain is, right? Word of the wise, always circle the big frowning. You'll get a lot more tension that way. It'll get to you faster if you circle that one. Why do the doctors do that? Well, certainly they want to know what condition you're in or the feelings and experiences that you're having in the moment, but also the intensity of the pain is oftentimes an indicator to the significance of the problem and the quality of urgent care that is needed. Now, I'm no doctor, but I think that David circles the big frowny face in Psalm 38. He's in significant pain. His, his body is not just localized pain. He notes a few things. His wounds are festering and stink. His side hurts. There are a few places here. But then he's, then he's laying prostrate and he describes his whole body as feeble and crushed. Have you ever had those kind of sicknesses where it's like the entire, your entire being is throbbing with pain? This is not a stub your toe. And having a localized pain. This is a global kind of pain where he is actually being hit physically in, in every single way. There's no part of his body, as it were, that didn't hurt. But in addition to that, it's not just this physical hurting that's there. It's, it's emotional and spiritual in nature. Because as he talks about himself laying prostrate on the ground, he says he does so for mourning, grief. There's a sorrow that's overtaken him. He says that he groans because of a tumult of his heart. Now, he's not talking about a heart condition here. He's talking about his spiritual heart. He's talking about the heart that is in anguish or is heavily in pain. He is a grieved and broken man, both internally and externally. In fact, we get the indication of that from the parallelism there in verse 3 when he says, there's no soundness in my flesh, topical, in fact, there's no health in my bones, the very insides of me. From the outside to the inside, everything has gone wrong. Physically, emotionally, and spiritually, I am coming undone. I am being rent apart. This is a significant ailment, and it runs through every course of his being. Now here, this is really important. We, in the modern period have had a tendency to separate physical things and spiritual things and emotional things into nice categories. You know, if you're having a, a, a psychological problem, you go see a psychiatrist. And if you have a relational problem, you go see a counselor. If you have a spiritual problem, you go see a pastor. And if you have a physical problem, you go see a doctor. And here's the realization, is that each of those realities actually penetrate one another. Now, if you've noticed this, but you're kind of all those things all at once. You can't just set your physical over here or your emotional over there. It's, it's actually quite connected. In fact, you acknowledge this in just everyday ways, right? It's when you don't get food on time in the way that you want it to the degree that you want it and you get grumpy. Now, we like to say it's because I didn't get food. Well, well, no. It's because you're a sinner. Now, you're blaming it on something physical. What you're saying is, because I got, because there was a physical deprivation, I had a spiritual problem. The realization is the physical deprivation revealed a spiritual problem. It didn't create it. It revealed it. 
get exposed to it. The same way, I, some of us become really hard to live with when we don't get enough sleep, right? And we think, well, if I could just get more sleep, I won't be as hard to live with. Well, I don't know about that. Talk to your spouse about that. The realization is that there's, there's connections that are here. I mean, you have experienced this, right? You've been sick, really sick, and you've gotten spiritually depressed. You've also had a major spiritual thing that's been going on in your life, maybe a major discouragement, and you know what happens? You get physically worn down. How many of you have been really eaten up with anxiety before and gotten nauseous? How many times have you gotten angry and a tightness in your chest and a shortness of breath shows up? All right. These things are connected. And David's actually saying at every single one of these levels, sin is affecting me. And the reality of actually the, the hand of God upon me. This ailment runs not just in one degree into one category. It actually is the entirety of my person that's being wrecked with the reality of sin. Now in verse 9... David seems like he's going to come out of the abyss. We have a moment of what a kind of what we might call a glimmer of hope. Look at what he says in verse 9. He says, Oh Lord, all my longing is before you. My sighing is not hidden from you. And you go, Okay, David, now we're on the right track. He has now a vision that the fact that God is present, He's there, He can see everything. He's, he knows my longing, he knows my sighing, this sense of despair, this is a sense of exasperation and exhaustion that David is going through. He knows it. But then if you read on in verses 10 to 14, you know what you see? David goes right down into despair again. He actually plunges deeper into despair again. Now we've experienced that as well. But we know what it is like uh, to have, in the midst of that ailment, in the midst of that suffering or that difficulty, to catch a glimpse of God and then immediately lose it again, right? That could be what's going on with David here. Or it could be something that's deeper, another side of his sickness. Uh, verses 9 to 14 speak of this alienation. You see that da David is experiencing, look at how it's described, verse uh, verse uh, 11, my friends and companions stand aloof from my plague and my nearest kin stand afar off. Oh, isn't that how it always goes? You're in the greatest of need and you come up to people and you're talking about your need and they can see how they're supposed to help you and they just are slowly backing up, right? His nearest of kin are escaping his friends, those who are closest to him, but here it gets worse Verse 12, those who seek my life lay their snares. Those who seek my hurt speak of ruin and meditate treachery all day long. His enemies are coming towards him. <laughs> those who hate him are getting close. Those who love him are backing off. This is not looking like a good situation. And then look at how he describes himself. Verse 13, but I am like a deaf man. I do not hear. Like a mute man who does not open his mouth. I've become like a man who does not hear and in whose mouth are no rebukes. Now David is describing here being cut off within his own person for communion on the outside. If we can see the degrees of alienation here, we have our family and our friends who are standing far off. We have our enemies moving towards. We in our own persons, the light of our eyes has gone out. The, the, the things that we hear we're now deaf to, our ability to speak has now been limited or diminished, maybe even done away with, this is a man who, if he had something to say, 
doesn't have the voice to say it. This is a man whose sensory perceptions are shut down. He's numb. Isn't that what happens in depression? Where you not only are the people standing afar off and the enemies moving towards, but you just don't even have the energy to engage the senses. To, to see, to hear, to speak. Well, it could certainly be that. It could even be deeper than that. It could be a spiritual reality. You know, when we're in that darkness, what often happens is we see, but we don't see right. We hear, but we don't hear aright. We speak, but we don't speak aright. There's a sense in which this alienation has come over David. And this ailment, now moving into a deeper experience of being completely cut off, this is a man who's going into a darker place still as we journey our way through Psalm 38. Now if you read it in that light, you look back at verse 9 and you think you have a little bit of wisdom as to what it is that David's actually saying here. He says, O Lord, all my longing is before you. My sighing is not hidden from you. Now listen to this. There is an approach that says, Lord, you see me. You see me, I take comfort in the fact you know my heart, you know my longings, you know my desires, you know the, the struggles that I'm going through. And then there's the other approach. Lord, you know my longings. You know my signs. And nothing changes. It's like you're not even there. Sure seems in context of this particular passage that that's the David we're probably hearing. He is so concerned, having been cut off from kin, cut off from family, enemies moving towards him, numb in all of his senses, that also in addition, God seems to have not been present either. And he's abandoned him. Now if, if I am God, in this particular case, scary thought, for all of us, not just for me, for all of us. If I'm God, what am I going to do? Well, I'm going to bring this man fast relief. Get this man to the people in the white coats. We're going to get him some medication. We're going to send him on a vacation. We are going to do everything within our power because this guy's about to capsize. His soul is absolutely overwhelmed. But that's not God's approach. Is it ever unsettling for you? You ever notice God's not on your timetable? Why is it that God moves so slowly? I mean, it's, it's a, I've, never heard, I've never heard a Christian say, you know, God just moves so quickly I can hardly keep up with him. I just, I've never heard it. I mean, if that's your experience, we, we should talk. I, I've never heard it. It's a, he's so slow. It's a, well, and here's, here's what's in that. When, when we say that, oh, he just moves. He moves so, so slowly. When we say that, there's something underneath that. And the underneath that is, um, it's so clear to me what he needs to do and that it needs to be done now. And he's not doing it that I really question him. Right? That's what's underneath that. Because somehow or another, we have determined the speed at which God should work. 
and to the degree that he should work and when he should work and how he should work, we have our assumptions about that. But this is where God begins to take David to the answer. You see, this is where God's so different from us. And we see that in verses 15 to 22. We see that God doesn't settle for simple fixes or superficial cures. I'm getting this man to the doctor. Find this man some relief. Do whatever we need to do to get him out of his anguish. And God's saying, I'm going to take my time. We're not there yet. We're not there yet. Because God is really after something really different than what I'm after. Sometimes we draw the conclusion that God is really after limiting our suffering and our pain. (laughs) He's not as interested in that as you are. He is interested in the deep healing you gain on the other side of that pain. And he is willing to let that pain last for a long time to get at what it is that he's after. That's his wisdom. That's his kindness. You see, David knows that in this text. He's actually revealed that. And and he shows us that God is really willing to do whatever it takes for however long it takes to get to the thing that we need to see. In this case, that we, the sin that needs to be exposed and repented of and turned to God in, that we might once again walk in newness of grace. You see, that's the answer. Peter actually gives us a lot of wisdom on this. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 tells us why God sometimes seems so slow. You know what it says? He says, the Lord is not slow. Oh, well, we were wrong about that. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise. As some count slowness. Ooh, oh, yeah, I've got that poke in the rib, too, on that one. But notice this. But instead, he is patient. Toward you, not wishing that any would perish, but that all should reach repentance. Oh, he's after repentance. He's after getting us to the place where what we need to come to terms with and stare face to face, the thing that we don't want to see. The thing that we would rather turn our eyes completely away from, that's the thing that he's pressing us in to see. That we would behold the reality of our sin. Do you see, David has made it very clear in this passage that he's aware of his sinfulness. There is no soundness in my flesh, no health in my bones. And you realize I skipped over this when we went through it. Verse 3, because of my Sin. I'm sick and ailing at every single level. Physically, emotionally, psychologically, spiritually, relationally. Every single level of me is sick. And the reason for it is because of sin. 
It's because of sin. For my iniquities, verse 4, have gone over my head. Do you see what's happening to David? <laughs> He's beginning to see his sin. Has that happened to you before? <laughs> where, where suffering comes into your life, a challenge comes into your life, and all of a sudden all these, other, these sins that you never had before, you all of a sudden have? You notice this? They just show up, this litany of things are going, oh, I've, I've never been like that before. Well, I guess, oh, now I am. It's like, we didn't know those things were in our hearts. But, but God, in his infinite kindness and wisdom, squeezed us. And it popped out. And until it popped out, we weren't able to see it. Which meant we weren't able to confess it. Which meant we weren't able to repent of it. Which meant we weren't able to gain the grace of Christ for it. To overcome it. To begin to go to war with it. To begin to be transformed. To begin to walk in a manner that is worthy of the gospel. You see, David sees an iniquity that he's drowning in. The sins are over my head. The burden is so great. I'm going to be crushed by it. You see, the deeper we descend, the more our sins come to the surface. We don't like to think of it that way, but that's what happens. The deeper we descend, the more our sins come to the surface. And here's the realization is, God is essentially like a physical therapist. He's going to hurt you to help you. He's going to give you a, a suffering to bring forth your healing. You've been to the physical therapist. You've got that injury, that surgery. And you're going to think you need another surgery after you visit the physical therapist. Because he or she is going to put you through the excruciating exercises that you might regain your mobility and you'll wake up the next morning feeling worse than you did the day before. But if you keep going back and you go a little deeper still into it, you know what begins to happen? Real healing. And if you stop short of doing the exercises that are prescribed, what happens? You regress. You lose the maturity. You lose the growth that comes because you didn't press in to the calling of getting well. You see, it'll hurt to find the healing that we really need. This is what C.S. Lewis was saying when he wrote, in grief observed, God allows us to experience the low points in our lives in order to teach us the things that we could not learn any other way. God is so kind. And you see by the end of this that David is beginning to dawn on him in verse 18. I confess my iniquity. I am sorry for my sin. Earlier in the psalm, you know what he was saying? My sins are great. I'm overwhelmed by them. We haven't gotten to this point yet. All my longing and all my sighing is before you. And then all of a sudden, a turn of hearts happened by 15. And what's he doing? I confess my sin. Oh, that's different. Had you thought just noticing your sin was enough? No, he's confessing his sin. He's acknowledging it openly and honestly before the Lord. He's beginning to turn away from it. Do not forsake me, O Lord. Be not far from me, O God. O Lord, my salvation. I love this because David is not asking by the end of this psalm to be saved from his suffering. 
What he is asking for and acknowledging is that the Lord is his salvation. There's something deep going on in a Christian's heart who can be in the pit of suffering and difficulty and be okay staying there if it means greater spiritual growth and greater glory to the fame of God's name. Something really special going on there. Because that is the very pathway of Christ himself. You see, he was the one who endured the cross and despised the shame. He's the one who went through the excruciation of all of his disciples abandoning him in his hour of need. He's the one who went through utter devastation at every single level that could be imaginable, wrecked to the nth degree. He was the one who had God's hand heavy upon him. He was the one whom the father reared back with the bow and let the arrow fling. And he was the one who was pierced to the uttermost. So that when we are pierced, not if, when we are pierced, we won't die, but we will live in Him. You see, the Christian life is not a life that promises freedom from suffering, but it does, if you're in Christ, the freedom that comes through suffering. And a healing that comes not apart from pain, but a healing that comes through some pain. Because the resurrection is on the other side of the cross. And such it will be for us, as such it was for David. So what do we do? Well, we do here in verse 15 what David is doing. He says, but for you, O Lord, do I wait. It is you, O Lord my God, who will answer. Let me tell you, friends, he has answered. By the time that David had written Psalm 38, the answer to the greatest of the brokenness and the suffering and the ailments and the alienations that we experience both with each other and with God were bridged through the ailment and the alienation that Jesus received for us. He has answered. We waited on the Lord and the Lord came through. Did he come on the timetable? No, he was patient. He came at just the right time. And guess what? It's been 2,000 years since that happened. And he's okay with that. He's okay with that because he is patient. And if he needs to, he will continue to extend that by His grace for our growth and for the salvation of the Lord. What are we supposed to do? Wait on the Lord. He has told us over and over and over in the Word again, I will answer. And hasn't He answered? He has. Will He answer again? He will answer again. He may not answer in your time to the degree that you would wish with your feet on the ground today, but He will answer. He always has. He always will. He is faithful. You can trust Him. 
He will not let you down. Father in heaven, some of us really need to hear this today. We really need to hear that you have not left us in our ailment. You have not left us in our alienation. We have you and you are present with us. All of us in this room will need to hear these things. And so, Lord, I pray that you would be faithful to remind us of what it is that we've studied together today. And, Father, I pray boldly, do not allow the suffering of us in this room to be stopped short by quick fixes and superficial cures. You in your time accomplish your will in the life of your people and do whatever it takes to bring the deep healing of the gospel. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.